Well, um, I don't know if you remember what you were doing on 9-11, 2001. But I remember vividly, I was uh, in my home office working on a sermon, and these are the days of AOL Instant Messenger, and all of a sudden, as I was there working in my office, an instant message popped up from AOL from a friend of my wife and I, who uh, I went to seminary with, and she simply said, hey, are you watching the news? And uh, she's a big Cowboys fan at the time, I was a big Niners fan, so I'm talking trash about, you know, whatever did the, you know, Cowboys release somebody or somebody get out of jail from the Cowboys or something. And she said, no, seriously, you need to go on and check out the news. And like many of you all turned on the news to see these airplanes crashing into buildings and just the horror that we saw on television. Now, this past Wednesday, I was uh, in meetings uh, back to back to back from about nine in the morning until when I leave around 4.35 o'clock here at Bayou City Fellowship. I've got meetings all day and I had a little break. One of my meetings was running late. And so around 3.30 I looked down at my phone and I noticed my wife had texted me and she said, are you watching the news? Have you seen what's going on? And I'm like, oh no, what happened? And so then I go on the website, one of the news websites or YouTube and I see what's going on. And like many of you, you perhaps were in shock as well. So I don't know how you react when you see things like that on television, on the news, what your first inclination is, where your heart goes. But today we're gonna look at this is when you see the brokenness in our world, when you see the chaos in our world, when you see lawlessness and dysfunction in our world, what should we do? Or to quote uh, Ryan Vinzan, our youth pastor from a couple weeks ago, what do you do with the pebble in your shoe? When God puts a pebble in your shoe that just bothers you, that irritates you, whether it's something you've seen on the television or on the news or on social media, what do you do even when you experience something that becomes a pebble in your shoe, that irritates you, that nags you, what do you do with the pebble in your shoe? And we're going to start this series through Nehemiah. And so today we're in Nehemiah chapter one, and we will discover what to do with the pebble in your shoe. So if you're there, if you're here today and have your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter one. So find the book of Psalms, then find Job, and then right before that you'll find Esther. And then right before Esther, you'll find Nehemiah. So find the book of Psalms all 150 chapters of it, and then turn over one book and you'll find Job, and then you'll find Esther and Nehemiah. The name Nehemiah means uh, God comforts, and it's written to the people who are going back in the third way from exile. And here's the theological treatise I wanna cover is this, uh, kind of uh, convey and give context to. Write this down if you're taking notes, is faithfulness, faithfulness to God, leads to blessings. Now, the amount of blessings and the quality of blessings and the type of blessings are up to God, but faithfulness leads to blessing. This is a summary of Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, and 30. Faithfulness leads to blessings. On the converse, unfaithfulness leads to bondage and brokenness. Unfaithfulness to God leads to bondage and brokenness. And this is an argument also from Romans chapter one through three. Unfaithfulness to God and his ways leads always to bondage and brokenness. And in this context, this is where Nehemiah is. And my prayer for this message is, you'll discover today what to do with a pebble in your shoe. And maybe you're not even aware that you have a pebble, so maybe God today would show you that pebble. And then secondly is this, is that this church would be a church focused on, as we've done this whole last week, prayer and fasting, as we've sought God to grab God's heart, that we would be a church 
really sold out on grabbing God's heart, that God would give us his design purpose, divine purpose and, and uh, mission for us. And that's the other message today. If you want to live a fulfilled kingdom life, God is going to show you what to do with that pebble in your shoe. So look at Nehemiah chapter one. Look at Nehemiah chapter one. He says this, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from uh, there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Verse four, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So here in this first section, he tells us when this is written. So this is written in about 445 BC or 446 BC, depending on some scholars, in probably late November, early December. They're in Susa, which is the uh, winter capital of the Persian Empire. It's to the south. And just like we would go south for the winter and go north for the summer, Persia has a northern kind of capital during the summer months, and they have a, uh, a southern capital for the winter and fall months, and they're in Susa. So he tells us historically, 445, 446 BC, sometime between November and December in the late fall. And he says this, as we were gathering for Thanksgiving dinner, my brother comes back from Judah, and he tells me the news I'm kidding, y'all. There's no Thanksgiving then. He says, we're, we're, we're enjoying a meal together. And I say, how are things going in Judah? How are things going in Jerusalem? And he says to me, he says, the people are experiencing brokenness, dysfunction, disgrace. And the walls have been torn down. And he says, at hearing this, upon hearing this, Nehemiah begins to weep. And if you want to memorize something, I want to focus, this is 2021, and this Wednesday is my six-month anniversary here at Bay City Fellowship, so I want to start some new things this year in this new year. I want to focus on scripture memory. And so I'd like us to memorize Nehemiah 1.4, because I believe it gives us a reaction whenever there's something we see on the news, whenever there's something we experience, rather than to quickly tweet about it, post about it, complain about it, to say, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I want us to have that as our reaction, saying, you know what? Whenever I see racial injustice, when I see fatherlessness or broken system or drug abuse and drug addiction, another case of domestic abuse, rather than tweeting about it and complaining about God first, would you grab my heart to grab your heart? When I, when I heard this bad news, the walls were down. He says, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. So here's point number one. What brokenness, because you love God, because you love God and you love your neighbor, what brokenness do you experience here, hear about in our community or world that makes you weep? When you see that people have been unfaithful to God, individually, collectively, and you see bondage and brokenness in our world, because you love God and because you love your neighbor, what brokenness do you see in our world, hear about, experience, social media, on the news, from your friends, your own life, that makes you weep, that just wrecks you to the core? And he says this, Nehemiah knows the word of God. He knows that Jerusalem is God's city. 
He knows there's a role for Jerusalem, that the throne of David will be there forever. He knows about temple worship, and he knows that as long as the walls are torn down, God's plan is, is in limbo. Because he says, God, I know that you'll have a king sitting there. I know that there's supposed to be temple worship. I know that it's your city, and that one day it'll be the city of cities. And to see this city with its walls down, vulnerable and broken, breaks my heart. So here's my prayer for us today. And I ask the staff to pray and all of our folks here who pray, pray that whatever breaks God's heart would break our heart. Whatever breaks God's heart, when God sees it, when God hears about it, when God sees us suffering, what breaks his heart would break our hearts. We're so in tune with God, so aligned with God, so close to the Lord, so intimate with God that whatever breaks his heart would break our hearts as well. So again, what brokenness do you experience, see or hear about in your community, a world that makes you weep? Is it drug addiction, corporate scandals? Is it fatherlessness, drug and alcohol abuse, homelessness, homicide, racial and social injustice, spiritual hypocrisy? Here's some things that you can kind of use as a grid. I'm not saying this is the only way. Here's four things that you can ask yourself. And I'm going to be a good Baptist and alliterate this. Number one is this. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? What makes you angry? What makes you angry? And when I say angry, I do not mean, you know what makes me angry? Romeo Cornell's play calling. That makes me so angry. I'm so angry how Brie treats Victoria on The Bachelor. That makes me so angry, right? I'm not talking about that kind of anger. I'm talking about what I would call a holy and righteous anger. When you know what God says in his word, here's what kingdom living looks like. Here's what the rule of God looks like. And you see the brokenness in our world and you're angered by it. What makes you angry? What makes you angry? I've got a friend of mine, uh, many of you may know her, uh, Lee Kohler's her name. And Lee Kohler uh, was invited to um, watch a movie um, on human trafficking by her mom. And first, you know, she's a former English teacher. She's got three kids. She's like, Mom, what do I want to watch a movie on human trafficking about, this documentary? So she just goes and watches this film. And then she says, after watching this film, she says her heart's broken and she's just angry that people can sell people like, like uh, men, uh, boys and girls, men and women like that. And then she takes a van tour with Elijah Rising. And in taking this van tour with Elijah Rising, she goes to cantinas and, and uh, 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 brothels and all that kind of stuff. She said her heart's even more broken. She says when she thinks about it, she gets angry because she says this should not be happening in our world, that men and women, boys and girls, created in the image of God, are being sold and trafficked into slavery. So what makes you angry? Second thing is, what do I avoid? What do I avoid? And again, I'm not talking about I avoid broccoli, I avoid long lines. What do you avoid? Because like uh, Lee and others, when you think about it, it makes you angry. It causes you pain internally. What do you avoid? Are you a veteran here today and you've seen things that people shouldn't see and you've got PTSD and so you avoid, like many veterans, talking about what you've seen in war? Have you been raised maybe as a victim of abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse. And that's why you don't like talking about, you avoid talking about your childhood. What are the things that you avoid in your life? And then what makes you anxious? What makes you anxious? What keeps you up at night? When you think about it, and not in a, 
in a not trusting God kind of anxious way. But when you think about this and you see the problem in our world, the brokenness in our world, and you say, God, what can be done about this? I think about all the solutions. Maybe we should have a mentoring program for fatherless boys. Maybe we should do this. Maybe we should have a new, uh, I'll contact my senator about legislation, about this and that or the other. What keeps you up at night? What makes you anxious? And then finally is this, where do I ache? Where do I ache? What are your personal pains that you've gone through that perhaps God is saying, I allowed that for a reason so that now you can help somebody else? What are your own personal aches? And here's what I know God can do. God is in the business of looking at a broken world, looking at broken people like you and I, and Jesus Christ is in the business of redeeming and restoring people. Amen? And this is what he can do. There is no one who is beyond redemption. And there's no one who's beyond restoration. And because of that, God can turn your scars and turn them into stars. And so think about the scars in your life. Again, maybe you were a victim of abuse as a child. Maybe you've been a victim of racial injustice. Whatever you've gone through, maybe God is saying that pain that I allowed is something that I'm using as a pebble in your shoe so that now you can address that brokenness in your world. Are y'all with me? Do you all believe that Jesus Christ can redeem and restore? That he can transfer people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? That he can make any of us into a new creature in Christ? Y'all believe that? And so he says again, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. And notice this in the text. Notice in the, this in the text. You can underline this word, uh, whatever translation. I'm using New Living for Nehemiah, New Living Translation, for days, for days. And the reason why I believe Nehemiah, or if it's Ezra who, who summarized all this, the writer, is because I know that we tend to fall into formulas. We tend to fall into like checklist Christianity. So if, if the text had said, and for three days I wept and fasted and prayed, or mourned, fasted and prayed, there's, oh, I'm going to do a three-day fast. I'm going to do a three-day fast, and then God will make it all clear. I believe the reason why he said for days is so that as you experience that pebble in your shoe, as you experience brokenheartedness over what breaks God's heart, you too would say, you know what, God, I'm not going to set a predetermined length. I'm going to say, as long as it takes, God, I'm going to mourn, I'm going to fast and pray. So perhaps, like many of you all, you've been fasting this whole week, Monday through Friday, you've just been fasting and you've been seeking God and you've been asking God and drawing near to God. And perhaps God is saying, you know what, that pebble in your shoe, that thing that bothers you, that scar that I'm going to turn into a star, I need you to fast over it some more. For days I mourned, fasted and prayed and sought the God of heaven, the one who's in control. So again, point number one, brokenness. Because you love God and love your neighbor. And we don't know if Hananiah is his actual biological brother, a kinsman, another fellow Jew. But he says he came and gave him the bad news. Brokenness is existing in Jerusalem. And he says, I wept. What makes you weep? Oh, here's the, uh, here's the movie, if y'all want to see it. Nefarious Merchant of Souls. Nefarious Merchant of Souls is a documentary on human trafficking. If you want to have your heart wrecked, check it out. If you're saying, man, that's too sensitive for me, I'm going to avoid that, keep avoiding it. But maybe God is saying to you, that's what I want to get involved in. Because God is in the business, in the ministry of redeeming and restoring so he says in verse four, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. So here's point number two, fast and pray about it. Fast and pray about it. Fast and pray about it. 
Verse five, then I said, and there are 12 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a book about prayer. It's not just about action and leadership, which it is, and sacrifice and getting to work. I think Nehemiah has a great balance of prayer and action or obedience. Prayer and obedience. For many of us, we go on one side, we're all about action and doing and fixing. And, and what he says is, I prayed. I was so brokenhearted, I prayed. God broke my heart, and so I prayed. So 12 times we see prayer in Nehemiah. There's only 13 chapters in Nehemiah. And nine of those prayers are written out. He says in this prayer, the first one, he says, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So notice this. He starts out with praise. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. That word of awesome can also be translated fearsome. So he praises God for who he is, first off. He says, I praise you for who you are. Before I even talk about everything that you've done, everything that you've allowed, everything that you're in control of, I praise you for you. So the first thing he starts with in his prayer is he starts with praise. And then he says this, look what he does. He says, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love and obey his commandments. And that word unfailing love or covenant love uh, is the word hesed. Hesed, it means faithful love or loyal love. He says, God, I praise you because you're God. You're awesome. You're fearsome. You're sovereign. You're in control. But he says, I also praise you because of what you've done. You're a covenant-keeping God. You're a loving God. Even when we have been unfaithful to you, God, you've been faithful to us. So he says, that's why I praise you for. That's why I praise you. That's why I praise you. Now, I just want to notice, uh, say this. It's 2021. And uh, I just want to give you all permission, permission, all right? Permission to praise God, permission to praise God. And you're saying, well, why do we need permission? I want to give you permission, liberty, freedom to praise God with everything that you got. Amen? Because of who he is. Way before what he's done for you, because of who he is. The reason why Paul says, honor your father and mother, he doesn't say honor your father and mother because they provide for you, put a roof over your head and all that stuff. He says, you honor your father and mother because authority, they are who they are. That's why you honor them, because no parents know you. No God know you. He says, that's why we honor God, because God is God. He's in the position of authority. And so we praise God. And then he says, because of who he is, but also what he's done. He's a covenant-keeping, loyal, uh, his loyal love. He's, he's a faithful God. Uh, many years ago, at the uh, Texas State Fair, which I don't know if they'll have it this year, Lord willing they will, there's a, a, an exhibit at the Texas State Fair, and it was called The Amazing Silver Lady. And so I don't know if you've ever been to Texas State Fair and have seen this, The Amazing Silver Lady. They said she gets all dressed up. It takes about two hours to get all dressed up. She's got this beautiful silver dress. She puts on the silver makeup, puts silver stuff in her hair. She comes out on stage. She sits in a chair. And then she does absolutely nothing. And you're like, what? what's going on? The reason why she's called the amazing silver lady is because she's a freeze mime. She gets all dressed up. She comes out, sits on a chair, and does absolutely nothing. And this is what people do. As they come and see her, they'll tell her jokes, trying to get her to smile or laugh or quit, make a little smirk. They try to dance in front of her, do stuff, just to try to get her to move. But the reason why she's called the amazing silver lady is because she gets all dressed up, two hours, she sits there and does absolutely nothing. 
And as I thought about that, I've traveled to churches all around the United States and I've preached in churches all around the United States. You know what? And I really don't think that's too amazing. You know why? Because there's Christians that get dressed every Sunday morning, come to church, sit there and do absolutely nothing. The worship pastors are like, God is a good God, amen, and they just sit there. They do absolutely nothing. God is the one that's kept you this week and sustained you this week. God is the one who's sovereign and sitting on his throne. And yet they just sit there and do absolutely nothing. And so it doesn't amaze me. So I want to give you all the freedom. And I know this. I know this. I, I, I've, I've, just started, I've just finished a book on this. I'm not trying to get white Christians to worship like black Christians. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to do that at all. You worship how God made you. But here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to set people free in this sense. I'll, I'll go worship with some, some people who are very reserved in their worship and praise. And when I say, hey, would you say amen? They're like, amen, right? Very reserved, very calm. Don't want to really let that emotion out. Don't want to really express their love for God. Understand that. Okay, maybe it's cultural. But then I'll sit next to him and I'll say, hey, I got some tickets to the Rockets game. I'm doing chapel this week. And you want to go with me? I'm like, sure, sure, sure. So they're sitting next to me at the Rockets game. The same very reserved, calm person. James Harden hits that clutch three. And next you know, they're shouting and screaming, going, go, James. Come on, Rockets. And I'm thinking to myself this. What has James Harden done for you ever? When you had that light bill you couldn't pay, did James Harden come through in the clutch? Right? Did he resurrect you and raise you from the dead? That time when you had that, that wayward teenage child and you prayed, was it James Harden came in and fixed it? And yet you will give James Harden more acclaim and praise than Jesus Christ who did all that? And so that's why I want to give you freedom to praise God, y'all. All right? Can, can, can y'all do that? If you want to say amen, if you want to shout and if whatever you say, you know what? And, and I saw this, I saw this, and, and, and I'm not, a, and I'm independent. I saw this rally on Tuesday or Monday. Kelly Leffler was there rallying, and, and there's this huge crowd of people. And it sounded like a church service, like a Pentecostal charismatic church service. And it baffled me that these same people, probably on Sunday, are like, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? Who are shouting and screaming for a political candidate. And yet, the one who sits on the throne, God, Daniel 2.21 says this. Daniel 2.21 says, it's God who appoints and lifts up kings and leaders. God is the one who does that. Every election is rigged. Rigged by God. <laughs> God is the one who sets up leaders and kings. And yet, we will praise and shout for kings and leaders and not give God praise. Is it just me, y'all? Is it just me? So he says, first he starts with praise, and then notice what he does. I'll calm down. All right, relax, Icky. <laughs> he says this. He says in verse six, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you Gave us through your servant Moses. So what does he do? He praises God first and then he repents. He repents. And he says, incline your ear. Some translation says incline. This translation says look down. He says, God, you're high. We're low. God, you're ruler. We're the rulees. And this is what I want you to do. Listen to my prayer 
And what he does first is after he praises God, he repents. That word confess is the Hebrew word yada, which means to know or to have knowledge. And so this is what he does. He acknowledges to God. God, we done messed up. We've been disobedient to you. And he repents collectively on behalf of Israel saying, we as a people, your people, have sinned. We've been disobedient to you. We've been unfaithful to you. Unfaithfulness leads to brokenness and bondage. The reason why we're experiencing brokenness and bondage is because we've been unfaithful. And so God, we want to acknowledge that. And on top of that, it's not just them. It's me and my family too. So here's a question for us. Here's a question for us is as a church, as the Christian church in America, in the world, what do we need to repent of collectively, but also individually as well? When you see the brokenness in our world, when you see the brokenness, maybe even here at Bayou City Fellowship, what do you need to say? God, I confess it as sin and I repent. I turn from it. I change my mind about it. And not only on behalf of these people in a mediatorial sense, as a communal sense, but God, I know I messed up too. God, I know I've been unfaithful. God, I know that I have brokenness and bondage in my life and I can't blame anybody. So God, I repent of that too. So what sins do we need to repent of individually, but also collectively as well? And then he says this, and look at verse eight. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So he does this. He first praises God, then repents, and then he asks. He asks God. He says, God, this is what I'm asking you. I'm asking you based on Deuteronomy chapter 30. I know faithfulness leads to blessing. Unfaithfulness leads to bondage and brokenness. What I'm praying now is this. If we return to you faithfully, will you bring us back in the land? Will you restore things? Will you bless us again? So he asked God, and notice this. He asked God based on God's word. God is a promise-keeping God. He will keep his word. And so this is what I, what I do. Whenever I pray for people who do not know Jesus Christ yet, when I pray for family members or friends who are not yet Christians, I pray, Lord, you said in 2 Peter 3, 9, that you're patient, not wanting for any person to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so God, based on your word, I'm praying for this person to come to repentance because you desire, you don't want anyone to perish. That's why I'm praying. I'm praying your word back to you because I know you're a promise-keeping God. And that's what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah says, this is what I'm asking, God. I'm asking Deuteronomy 30. You said unfaithfulness, bondage, and brokenness. Faithfulness leads to blessing, and we need to, we need to be blessed, so we return to you. So what he does is then he asks, and notice what he does in verse 10 and 11. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those, and some translations say, of those your servants who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. So what does he do? Notice the word your appears there over and over again is he yields himself to God. He yields himself saying, God, we're your servants. We're your vessels. We're your children. 
We will do what you want us to do. We will follow you. If you say jump, we're gonna say how high. We will follow you. So he yields himself to God. And I know Joel said a couple weeks ago in in a message on prayer, not to have these formulaic prayers. But you notice, praise, repent, ask, yield. What does that spell? Aggie, right? No, I'm just kidding. It spells pray. And so I'm not saying have a formulaic way of praying that God, you're awesome. I worship you. I repent of my sins and I'm asking for this and I yield to you. I'm not saying that, but it gives us like the Lord's prayer, a pattern by which we can pray. Are y'all with me? A pattern by which we can pray. So he says, God, we yield ourselves to you. And notice this, and notice this. He says, in those days, I was a king's cupbearer. So he recognizes that God has placed him in a position now. And this position, don't think a cupbearer is a butler, somebody who comes in as a server. The cupbearer in those days would drink the wine before the king would to taste it and make sure it wasn't poisoned. It was a trusted advisor. In modern day terms, we would probably say that Nehemiah was part of King Artaxerxes' cabinet. If he had a cabinet, he was perhaps a secretary of, let's say, spiritual matters or something, or education. He was in the cabinet. And so he recognizes, God, you have placed me in this position. So again, praise, repent, ask, and yield. So as you look at the brokenness in our world, as you see brokenness, as you go to Harris County Jail, And you ask the inmates there, hey, if you grew up in a fatherless home, would you stand? And 95, 96% of the inmates there stand up. When you visit some of these underperforming schools and see the chaos, y'all, I've been there. It should break your heart. When you hear of another instance of domestic abuse, human trafficking, And it can even be this. It can be this too. I don't want to make it all these things. It can even be within these walls, within the context of the local church. When you say, God, I know what your word says, but I see this going on at Bayou City Fellowship, and that just breaks my heart. It wrecks me. Um, I don't know. Robert and Nancy Graves, if you're watching here, Hello, um, their daughter, Anna Graves. I've known Anna for a long time. When I was doing cause ministry, she was doing cause ministry at UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. And they had this event where they made human trafficking and awareness about it, kind of this outreach. And so they had this booth set up during orientation and they had students sign up to hear more about uh, human trafficking and what they could do about it. They had this big event and they gave out prizes and all that stuff. And on this night, so Anna said, would you bring some of your students? We brought some of our students. We had about 400 people packed out in one of the largest auditoriums at UTSA. And Anna said, it's going to be an outreach. We're going to share the gospel at the very end, saying, you know what, bondage from both your sin and freedom, all that comes from Jesus Christ. We're going to share the gospel. I said, great, I'm praying. And so I'm there. Another pastor friend of mine is like sitting like 10 seats down. And all of a sudden, the guy got up to begin sharing the gospel. And the guy did not share the gospel. It was the most muddy talk on, I mean, he was talking about human trafficking and going to this place and this place and this place. Not once did he mention the gospel. And I looked over my pastor friend about 10 seats down and I was like, like what's, what's going on? Like we have this room probably full of two, 300 non-Christian students. 
We have an opportunity to share the gospel. That's what Anna and others have been praying for. And this guy doesn't share the gospel. And that just wrecked me. I mean, it just broke my heart seeing all these students who need Jesus, who Jesus loves desperately. And the gospel's not shared. And so I literally, I didn't weep out here, but I was weeping. I was like, God, I'm brokenhearted about this. So what is it that God is wrecking your heart? What has God shown you? This breaks God's heart. And when I see it, when I experience, when I hear about it, it breaks my heart as well. Um, God saved me through the game of rugby. In high school, a friend of mine said, we're starting a high school rugby team. And he said, do you want to play? And I said, sure. I didn't know at the time um, that the head coach was a youth pastor. He's really using this rugby team as an outreach. And so about a third of the team were some of the guys from his youth ministry. And I quickly became friends with many of them. Now, here's the thing about a rugby team. Our rugby team practiced at my high school. And on the team were Samoans, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, whites. And we were this one team. And God graciously, lovingly saved me at the end of the season. And God saved me and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ because one of my teammates took me out to lunch and shared the gospel with me. He asked me, do you celebrate Christmas and Easter? And I said, I do. He said, do you know why? I said, no idea. He gave me a little track called the Four Spiritual Laws. I walked through it and I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Now here I'm coming from a diverse high school, this very diverse rugby team. And the local church just two blocks away from my high school I remember walking in that first day, a thousand member church, every single person in that auditorium was white. Every single person, except, except, except two Asian families and one black family. And the one black family, the husband owned a limousine company. And so every Sunday they would come in this big limousine to church and they had like eight or nine kids. But still, the ratio wasn't there because of this diverse high school Caddy Corners of the church was this low-income neighborhood, this low-income apartment complex. And yet the church was predominantly a thousand white, upper-middle-class, upper-class people. And it, it just bothered me saying, if, if the local church is supposed to be like this hub of reconciliation, of love for all people, in this very diverse neighborhood, next to like this very diverse school, the youth pastor has this very diverse rugby team, Samoan, black, Hispanic, Asian, and white, and yet, the church was almost entirely white. And then when I got to college, I had a roommate, Tommy Griffin, my best friend, African-American. I had a roommate, Ben Fay, white, Brent Randall, white. We were all Christians. We all loved the Lord. And we would all do homework together, study together, eat together, cook together, complain together, talk about girls together, all those things we do together. And yet on Sunday mornings, we would all go to our separate places of worship because Tommy was like, you know what, I'm, I prefer to go to this church, a little bit more African-American lean, I prefer to go to this church and all this. And it broke my heart that we could do all that community together, but we could not worship in the big C together. And then God began to go through, uh, began to go through God's word. And so again, what I mentioned before is not just what breaks your heart, but does it break God's heart? What does God have to say about it? And God says this in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, which are the marching orders for the Christian church and for Christians. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is ethnos. 
It can be translated ethnicities. Jesus saying, go make disciples of all ethnicities. And what happened in the first century in the first church? The Jews kind of kept it to themselves. So persecution came and they had to scatter so they would go and reach non-Jews. And so the gospel is both for the Jew and the Gentile, Galatians chapter three. And here's the thing. Did you know this? That this issue, and I know multicultural, multi-ethnic worship and gathering together is difficult. Galatians is written about that. Romans is written about that. Even Ephesians is written about that. There is the underlying context of this divided body between Jew and Gentile, the superiority, inferiority. And God has to say in Ephesians, I have now created the church into one new person, one new man. Kainos, totally new. This is not Judaism 2.0. This is something totally new, and this is for all people. And so here I was saying, God, I see this racially divided church because our world is divided. That's what the book Divide by Faith, if you've ever read Michael Emerson's book Divide by Faith, Rice Sociology Professor, this is his premise. And I can't finish the book because it makes me so angry. He says, in countries divided along racial lines, what you will find is that the Christian church, the Christian church has done more to keep people divided than bringing people together. He gives stat after stat after reference after reference. And that's why I'm glad there's a, a 2.0. There's a book, United by Faith. And he says, it's up to the church, the Christian church, the center of reconciliation. Reconcile to God, reconcile to one another. Both Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, Republican and Democrat, boomer and buster, Gen X and millennial, all to gather together because we are the church. And that's what God did. God broke my heart and I wept and I mourned and I fasted and prayed and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do to be that one piece that hopefully you can use to accomplish your kingdom purpose? And so that's my prayer for each one here today. Each one here today is that God would break your heart for what breaks his. As you watch the news as you read the newspaper, as you go through social media, you're not just saying complain, dislike, whatever. But when God breaks your heart, and here's the thing, my prayer is that our hearts would be sensitive. Our hearts would not be hardened or callous to the suffering and pain and injustice around us. But God would tender, uh, would soften your heart, make your heart tender what breaks his heart. And as God breaks your heart, like Nehemiah, you'd say, God, for however long it takes, I'm gonna mourn. Man, this has rocked my world. This is a pebble in my shoe. And God, I'm gonna fast. I'm gonna go without food. I'm gonna go without social media. I'm gonna go without whatever it is. And I'm gonna go without it and say, God, I wanna grab your heart. I want my heart to be so aligned with your heart. I want my will to be so aligned with your will. And I'm gonna pray and seek you. And that's my prayer for this church. And it may be something small, maybe a tutoring program at an underperforming school, maybe something huge where you're saying, I'm going to start like Lee Kohler, Freedom Church Alliance. I'm going to unite churches all around Houston to help set the captives free. Maybe like my friend Kurt Craig, who was a missionary in South America, came back and saw just systemic poverty here in America, cyclical poverty, and says, you know, I need to stop this. So he adopted a four-block area in South Union Third Ward and says, we're going to make a difference in this block in South Union Third Ward. It could be something like that. But that's my prayer for us, is during this series that God would break our hearts 
for what breaks his. Hey, as I pray, uh, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come on up and go on my left and right. And as you're comfortable, if you say, I need prayer, and after I say amen, I welcome you to come up to the prayer team and socially distance pray with them. If you wanna go out in the lobby and pray with them, you're welcome to do that, to have a little more distance. But I wanna be praying for you. We wanna be praying for you as elders. We pray every morning, Thursday morning at 6.15. And that's one thing I love. Our prayer time, 6.15 Thursday morning, is just the word and prayer, the word and prayer. We read the word, listen, and pray. That's all we do, and pray the word back. But we wanna pray for you. So if you want, you can also submit that on your app as well, saying here's a prayer request, that here's some things I see in my world, things at work. I see how some people treat it at work, and it, it just kills me. I don't know what to do. Would you join me in prayer about this? Submit that. So as I pray, I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come on up. Master, I'm grateful uh, for uh, you and your Hesed love, your faithful, loyal love towards us. God, you tell us in 2 Timothy, even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful for you cannot deny yourself. But God, we know in reading your word, God, when we're faithful to you, God, we enjoy blessings, both immaterial and material. God, we enjoy kingdom living, the way life was intended to be lived as we're faithful to you in your ways. And Master, we also know that when we are unfaithful, whether we're a believer, unbeliever, God, we're unfaithful as a nation, as a church, to you, that leads to bondage and brokenness. And God, we see bondage and brokenness all around us, God. God, would you make our hearts sensitive? God, would you break our hearts what breaks your heart? God, with a righteous and holy anger, Lord. God, would we examine and look at what are the things that I avoid because they're that pebble in my shoe, they're, they're, they, they lead to pain? What are the things I'm anxious of? What are the things that at two o'clock in the morning I cannot stop thinking about? And God, what are my own personal aches? God, is it uh, being abused verbally? God, is it being abandoned and being left as a single mom? God, what is it, God, that is my own personal ache. And Master, I pray that we would mourn fast and pray over those things and to you, the God of heaven, for days. And God, I'm excited for next week as we look at what you and how you led Nehemiah. God, as we do that, would you lead us individually as your children and collectively as Bayou City Fellowship, God, and we ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said.